you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. I'm your host, Phil. A couple things to talk about today. A big HR1 bill that is passed in the House of Representatives. We're going to go over a lot of that. We're also going to talk about Gavin Newsom and his continued use of lobbying or uh, working with no-bid contracts from his lobbying buddies. But first, let's get started with our out-of-the-gate monologue. This past week, we saw not one, not two, but actually three states move forward and lift all COVID restrictions on their states. Texas, ever the beacon of personal liberty and freedom, went first and in a surprise move, removed all restrictions on businesses and lifted its mask mandate. Mississippi was close behind and lifted all their restrictions and mask mandate as well. In a shocking move, Connecticut will also be moving to remove all capacity restrictions in the next couple of weeks. Mind you, Connecticut is a Democrat-controlled state, so this is really a surprise move. Now, these three states join other states like South Dakota and Florida, which have been operating basically as normal as if COVID doesn't exist. South Dakota never shut down, never required anyone to wear a mask. As Governor Noam said in her speech to CPAC, she believed the government's role was to inform the people and let them make their own decisions. Governor DeSantis has become a bit of a conservative rock star and openly defying the calls from the White House and the media to listen to the science and keep all the restrictions in place. This is a good news as states are starting to make their own decisions and move forward with reopening their states on their own timelines, not ones dictated by the Biden administration. It's certainly a win for federalism and states' rights. While it's good news for those states, here in California, we're still struggling with Governor Newsom's ever-changing dictates and color-coded chart of confusion on when and how to open. If this reopening craze begins to gain momentum, how long until California follows suit? It's easy to say that California will probably be the last holdout. Newsom governs a state with a supermajority of registered Democrats who mostly all dutifully follow the orders and musings of Dr. Fauci. Why would Newsom have any incentive to open the state when his state is full of supporters who believe in staying locked down until there's absolutely no more cases of COVID? Well, a couple things could certainly play into a reopening timeline for California. If we were to play Vegas oddsmaker, there are certain markers on determining the over-under when California will likely push for full reopening. The most crucial factor has to be the recall. And at this point, organizers are saying they are closing in on 2 million signatures with 10 days still to go. The more signatures gathered gives the organizers a cushion to ensure that our new Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, can't play any games with the signatures to whittle it down below the required amount. As of right now, the governor should be worried, but... He's not overly preoccupied with the recall. However, this all changes if the recall is certified and set for a special election. Now, if the recall goes to the ballot and there is an election, expect things to change dramatically for Governor Newsom. In a recent poll conducted by the Faulkner campaign, it stated 47% of voters would vote to recall Newsom as opposed to 43% who said they would not. More concerning for Newsom is that the poll showed 26% of registered Democrats would vote to recall him. That is very concerning for a governor who runs a dark blue state. It shows that his base is fracturing and that he can't rely on Democrats to buoy him past the recall question. I would not be surprised if that number continues to grow as time goes on and California remains under strict lockdown. Now, whether he wants to admit it or not, the looming recall has had an impact on how he governs. 
Out of nowhere, he did away with the stay-at-home orders, even though we didn't meet his self-imposed guidelines for rescinding it. No explanation was given, but many could read between the margins and see. As the recall gained steam, he started to back off some of these lockdowns. Even now, more and more counties are hurtling towards lower tiers. But the recall isn't the only thing that will affect California being fully reopened. Imagine if states like New York and New Jersey, who are geographically close and right next to Connecticut, what if they removed all restrictions? If New York were to fully reopen and lift all restrictions, how much pressure does that put on California to follow suit? How about our neighbors to the north in Oregon and Washington? Newsom can write off Texas and Mississippi like he did by calling them reckless, but they are red states. But will he call New York reckless as well? If dark blue states start accelerating the reopening, what reason will Newsom give to remain closed? The last factor is something Newsom himself likes to tout regularly, and that is our rapidly declining numbers. I have said before, Newsom cannot both take credit for the falling numbers and then turn around and lecture people on why they need to remain locked down. His own numbers show that COVID is on its way out, maybe not forever, but to a point where it's no longer an epidemic. And with spring and summer coming up and more people getting vaccinated, COVID numbers will continue to plummet even further. Will he take a victory lap and say he squashed the virus? And if he does, do the people of his state get to enjoy that victory? If we were all in this together, we should be enjoying the spoils of victory over this virus as well. Finally, the X factor in all of this, of course, is Dr. Fauci. What if Dr. Fauci were to come out in a couple months and say, hey, we've reached a point where we see enough people are vaccinated and positive cases are at such a level that we are no longer concerned with this. This only increases the pressure since St. Fauci himself says it's okay to return to normal and Newsom to full, and it puts the pressure on Newsom to fully reopen. Now, there are a lot of factors that will go into how fast California fully reopens. But in my humble opinion, they are all against Newsom at the moment. My prediction? In the over-under of when we'll fully reopen? About one month after the recall election is certified and scheduled. So in good news for the rest of the country and not good news for Californians, because like I just said, we're obviously not looking to being fully reopened anytime soon. Newsom seems to be doubling down, but he does like to make sure that he touts the fact that COVID is on the decline. He likes to tweet about how we're 40% this and down 57% that, and now we're down to 2.3% positivity rate throughout the entire state. But at the same time, he doesn't want to really let people go back to doing what they're doing. He wants to hold on as long as possible. Which, in kind of a legal argument sense, it's not really an emergency anymore if the numbers are at such a drastic low that there's really no reason for him to have emergency powers as he's granted to himself. Uh, And this is one thing that he's going to have to figure out going forward if there is a recall. Is is he going to play it up that he squashed the virus or is he going to be a victim of the fact that he squashed the virus regardless of the fact that he caused enormous amounts of uh, business closures and educational stagnate or stagnation for kids that they lost year about a year of their schooling and it put them way behind. Uh, is he going to have to look at sort of the wreckage around him and argue, well, it was totally worth it? That's something he's going to have to really argue with and struggle with if there's a recall election. And keep in mind, if there is a recall election, it's going to be months away. So if a recall is certified, You know, it's like the ringing of the bell in a boxing match. Expect money to pour in. That will be negative campaigning against Newsom and expect Newsom to try and fix his 
image as fast as possible because he's he'll be fighting for his political life at that point. So moving on, I want to talk about this one bill that just came out and it's HR one. If you don't know about it, it's an 800 page bill and it basically is trying to codify, excuse me. Uh, it's trying to codify a lot of the things that Democrats like. And at this point, is it any surprise that Democrats are going to try and move forward with this as fast as possible? Because it seemed all this stuff worked in 2020. So why not see if they can just really solidify an advantage going forward by creating what this is called a For the People Act. And it was passed this past Wednesday by the House. It still has to go to the Senate. So we'll see if it's filibustered. And if it's filibustered, they're going to need 60 votes, which would mean 10 Republicans would have to come over to break the filibuster. And I highly doubt that will actually happen. Because any Republican with sense, I mean, even Mitt Romney at this point has to look at this bill and say, this is a bad bill. This really goes ahead and just solidifies the Democrats uh, advantages and way of, of voting. It doesn't bring in it doesn't codify anything about voter ID. In fact, it takes away a lot of it. And we're going to go over some of these points. I, there's 37 of them in this Breitbart article. I don't want to go through every single one because that would take forever, but I do want to go through uh, a couple of them just to point out how bad this really becomes. Uh, First one that they talk about is the federal control over congressional elections. It it declares that Congress finds that it has broad authority to regulate the time, place, and manner of congressional elections under the elections clause of the Constitution. Uh, That primary authority, and this is something to think about throughout all of this, is that all of this really primary authority goes to states, Uh, but it allows Congress to really alter some of those regulations. And basically it gives them the power to override how states run their elections. So for example, Georgia just passed an omnibus bill that gets rid of the no excuse absentee. You need a vote. You need some sort of ID to get absentee and a whole slew of other things that Georgia is trying to do to remedy what happened in 2020. Basically, that federal control over any congressional elections would take away that power. And if the Democrats are in charge, they can go and say, well, we don't care if these Republican state legislatures are enacting laws to shore up their elections. A Democrat controlled Congress can just go in and override them. Um, It also declares that the photo ID is burdensome and the voter registration procedures, purges of ineligible voters, restrictions on mail and voting. Um, rules against felons, felony, other measures, and states and municipalities have taken to guarantee the integrity elections are, in fact, restrictions on the right to vote. It also suggests, of course, these forms of racial discrimination, systemic racism, because when all else fails, just say something is racist. Uh, automatic and online voter registration. So this is something we're used to here in California. The bill requires every state to make sure all eligible citizens are registered to vote in elections for federal office unless individuals opt out. So basically what this is, is motor voter, meaning it's automatic and online, meaning that they, as soon as you're a person in the system, they try to register you. You're allowed to change your personal information at polling places. Um, so if on the day of you show up, hey, you can change your address and other information just right there at the polling place. Uh, you can also, if you are not a citizen and you vote, well, There's no penalty for that. So that's not a. So if there's no penalty, then I guess there's more incentive to vote. Same day voter registration, meaning you can show up and register to vote. So 
I mean, that that's scary because uh, it would mean that anybody can just, if they're running low on numbers and it looks like they need to pump it up, they can just register a bunch of people and get them to vote right that day. Uh, this provision also includes a clause that requires same-day voter registration to be implemented in time for the upcoming elections in 2022, when it looks like the Republicans will take the House. Hmm. How how advantageous. Uh, you won't be able to get rid of ineligible voter rolls. You can register to vote if you're under the age of 18. Uh, as long as you're over the age of 16, you can't vote yet, but you can start to vote. Or you can not start to vote, but you can register to vote. So that way they can get more people, more young people going. I mean, you can keep going through this and going through this. And it just seems like it is an absolute Christmas Santa wish list of what Democrats and how they view it. They basically codifying the stuff that they love to do to get away with stealing elections. Uh, always mandating early voting. There's always been early voting. So that's not really a big deal, but mandatory early voting uh, nationwide vote by mail, meaning that the entire country will have to do mail-in voting because that went over so well in 2020 and you don't need a photo ID to do that. You can do ballot harvesting. Um, you allow 10 days for ballots to be accepted after election day. So, you know, if your person's behind, you still got 10 days and you can get more ballots after election day. So what's the point of having election day if you can still get your ballot in 10 days after election day? Let's see what else they got. Uh, campus vote coordinators at colleges and universities. Oh, look at that. Who votes for Democrats overwhelmingly in a certain in a certain age group? It would be college age kids overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. Uh, they'd, be, they'd be gutting voter ID requirements by allowing would-be voters in person or mail to submit a sworn written statement signed by the individual under penalty of perjury. Uh, they're allowed to cast regular ballots just like voters who present photo ID. Uh, you can make Let's see, mandatory curbside voting, so you don't have to even get out of your car now. It's like a drive-thru. It's just like driving through McDonald's. You can just drop off your vote. Let's see. Uh, statehood for D.C. Okay, so you knew they were going to try and slip that in sooner or later. I don't know how well that's going to go over. Uh, and this one is really, really scary. A federal control of congressional district maps through independent commissions, notwithstanding evidence that independent redistricting commissions are actually run by Democrats for their own partisan advantage. The bill makes it mandatory for states to redraw their congressional districts through such commissions, not through state legislatures. Commissions are required to show racial, ethnic, economic and gender diversity, as well as geographic diversity. This one scared me probably the most. Uh why this is a big deal is because we just had a census and in census years, state legislatures get to redraw the districts. And a lot of times there is gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is illegal. You can't do that, but it doesn't mean that you still can't create a district the way you want it to give yourself an advantage, especially in, in the represent house of representatives. Uh, and this is, Obviously, a ploy to take away the power from the state legislatures because there are now more state legislatures that control or that are controlled by Republicans, meaning Republicans would be drawing up a lot of these districts for the next 10 years for the House of Representatives, giving the Democrats a huge disadvantage because now all of a sudden you have these Republican districts that are drawn up by Republicans and it would put them at a disadvantage for the House. So obviously, 
they decided, well, we're going to take that power away from the states and we're going to give it to this independent commission. Now, it sounds nice. It sounds fantastic, this independent commission, but we're all fooling ourselves to believe that it's truly going to be independent. It's supposedly supposed to be filled with bureaucrats, academics, and other private citizens. Now, who gets to say who gets to be on those independent commissions? Probably the people in power. And if it's this case and it's the Democrats, they're going to put their people in power. And who thinks that academics are actually going to be nonpartisan when they actually get the power to redraw these districts? Do you think that's really going to be a bipartisan effort if it's filled with government bureaucrats and academics? It's probably not going to. It's going to be filled with people who want to redraw the map to favor their political party. I mean, that's just common sense. It's it's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to be fair. It's going to be skewed one side. The Democrats will continually get an advantage. They're basically trying to get rid of the state legislature's power to run their elections at all, which was the argument. Mind you, this was the argument for a lot of these states changing their laws right before the 2020 presidential election was, well, we're states and we get to do what we want. We can change the election how we want, or we can change our own elections and control them how we want. Now that they have Joe Biden and they have a democratically controlled Congress, now they want to make it so that the federal government controls how all these state elections are done. Before, state legislatures and all that was fine, but now they don't want state legislatures to have control. So this one scares me the most because it's just a blatant, blatant attempt at grabbing as much power. And the fact that they throw in that you also have to show racial, ethnic, economic and gender diversity well, that's just straight out of the Democratic playbook. Uh, let's see. More commissions, more taxpayer money, uh, new reporting requirements for companies. The bill identifies limited liabilities as potential conduits for foreign donations to domestic super PACs and suggests Congress require LLCs to identify their owners. Uh, let's see. New disclosures for corporations uh, who aim to. Rest- uh, this is from Chuck Chucky Schumer, who aimed to restrict corporate participation in elections. Uh, this requires corporations to certify that political activities are free from foreign interference, including showing those involved in political groups. So basically, it, your corporation can be under the watchful eye of the federal government and they can look into who you're donating to. Oversight of online political ad- advertising. Great. So you can't advertise online anymore. If you're conservative, it's most likely they're going to ban you because they don't believe with you. Uh it will deport oh this is actually surprising deportation for aliens who violate election laws attacking citizen united and free speech for corporations the bill declares supreme court's decision citizens united to be erroneous adding the supreme court's misinterpretation of the constitution to empower moneyed interests at the expense of the american people in elections has seriously eroded over 100 years of congressional action to promote fairness and protect elections from the toxic influence of money. It recommends the Constitution should be amended so that Congress and states may regulate and set limits on the raising and spending of money. Okay, well then do that in amendment. Don't try and shove this through in a partisan bill. That's If your issue is that the Constitution should be amended, well then make an amendment and go for an amendment, but don't try and shove it through this way. Uh, Gift cards and reimbursements for political donations under a pilot program called My Voice. The bill creates a federally funded voucher program that gives individuals $25 to donate to the candidates of their choice. 
It also provides for federal matching of 600% of the amount candidates for federal office receive in small donations. So your taxpayer money could be going to fund certain political candidates. Uh, it allows politicians to help use to use campaign funds for personal use under a provision called the Help America Run Act. The bill legalizes what had previously been considered a violation of federal law and allows candidates for federal office to use campaign donations for personal expenses. Uh, changing the composition of the FEC to become partisan, the bill reduces the membership of the federal election committees from five, six to five members. Only two members can be associated with a particular party, meaning the fifth member is theoretically independent, though nominated by a president associated with a party. Uh, so basically, you could only have two from each party, so four of them, two Republicans and two Democrats. However, whoever the the president in charge is will actually be appointing the fifth person. So in this case, Joe Biden would get a pick. Changing conflict of interest rules to bar Donald Trump from running. Though Trump is not mentioned, the bill tightens rules around conflicts of interest for the president and vice president that will make it hard for Trump to run again. It requires the president or vice president to vest all financial interests they compose as a conflict of interest for them, their families, or anyone with whom they are negotiating or who is seeking employment in their administration. Uh, and then finally, changing the FEC rules to require Trump or other presidential candidates. Remember, this is all stuff to stop people like Donald Trump from ever running. Not later than the date that is 15 days after the date at which an individual becomes a covered candidate, the individual shall submit to the Federal Election Commission a copy of the individual's income tax returns for the 10 most recent taxable years for which a return has been filed with the Eternal Revenue Service. Those are things that they're anti-Trump, but could come back and bite a lot of these politicians in the ass. I mean, I'd love to see if Nancy Pelosi has to start disclosing her financial records and her tax records. That would be fantastic. But this is one of those scary, scary, scary bills that if it does pass and it does get signed into law, you basically can kiss one of the pillars of American Republican, the American Republic goodbye. In the sense that it takes the entire wish list of what Democrats want to do with elections. That is mail-in voting, no ID, no penalties if you are not a citizen for voting, registering a large number of tax dollars to go register a large number of young people in the sense of 16 to 18 year olds. People get them all ready to go when they turn 18 to get a campus turnout project so that you can get more people who are on campuses to go vote. It gives um, statehood to D.C., which would then give them two more senators, which is what we all know. Same thing with Puerto Rico, why they want to make Puerto Rico a state. Uh, it's not because all of a sudden they believe Puerto Rico needs representation and needs to be a state. It's because they know that more likely than not, they'd get two Democratic senators out of Puerto Rico if it was a state. Likewise, they're going to get two Democratic senators out of D.C. if it becomes a state. The Independent Commission is probably one of the scariest things because these are things and it's like the Democrats have basically said we were upset that we lost fair and square. Mind you, fair and square, they lost these state legislatures because the Republicans picked up and gained more state legislators across the country. They're now angry that it's a census year and they failed to gain a lot of state legislatures. So now they're trying to take that power away from them and change the rules. And there's, of course, a lot of people on the left who will say, oh, well, why not have academics and bureaucrats redistricting why should it be state legislators that are partisan because an independent commission if you believe it's truly an independent commission i have a bridge to sell you 
There, there is no way they're not going to be partisan. And especially when you put academics on a commission, do you really think they're going to be partisan? Absolutely not. There's not a deluge of conservative or Republican academics who would, one, have the ability to even be put on a commission like this. Instead, they would fill it up with academics that they love from, oh, I don't know, let's say Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Berkeley, all those those schools that they love so much. And they will fill it with those academics and they get to redraw the lines. Unelected people. That's not how the Constitution was set up. The Constitution was not set up so that unelected bureaucrats and academics can draw up the districts for who and what kind of representation we have. The Constitution, and this is something I've been harping on the past couple of weeks, is they've been trying to take more and more power away from state legislatures in a concerted effort to make only one government, and that is the federal government, to make it all one government. State legislatures will essentially have no power. And we've talked about this on my lives. I'm sure I've mentioned this once before about the 17th Amendment, why Justice Scalia, the great late great Justice Scalia said that that was one of the starts of the downfall of the American Republic was when the 17th Amendment passed, thus taking more representation, a voice, a bigger voice for the state legislatures out of the federal government. But this is just a blatant example. This is just a blatant, blatant partisan attack on state legislatures and their constitutional authority. I would not be surprised that if this does actually pass, I hope it does not. I hope it's dead on arrival in the Senate and that they don't work with it. And I hope that maybe even some of the moderate Democrats like a cinema or a mansion turn around and go, we're not even voting for this. And there won't even come down to a 50-50 tie. Uh, it has to get past the filibuster, filibuster first of all, and hopefully someone does filibuster this bill into the, into into the the wastebasket of congressional bills. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is a Supreme Court lawsuit for this. Now, the Supreme Court has not been necessarily doing its job as of late. It just kicked out a couple sanctuary city lawsuits. It obviously did. It did a about face on the election lawsuit saying once that there's no standing before the election. And now they say it's moved after the election. Then the Supreme Court really hasn't been doing its job. It seems like there's really a smaller and smaller number of people who really want to work to preserve this republic. And that's Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, and sometimes Justice Gorsuch have been kind of always on the same three people. Um Amy Coney Barrett, kind of a letdown. Justice Kavanaugh, kind of a letdown, guys. You know, really, really kind of a letdown, especially when you call yourselves members of the Federalist Society. But anyway, this is a horrible, 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 horrible. I don't know how many times to say this is absolutely a horrible bill. It is so absolutely, unbelievably partisan for the Democrats to literally just go in and enact everything that helps them. There is not one thing in this bill that helps Republicans. And they are, of course, going to put it under the banner of for the people and to increase voter registration and increase access to voting. When in reality, it is an enormous payout and it is an enormous partisan bill to put more power in the federal government, which right now is controlled by Democrats. And Democrats seem to do this a lot. They don't really think in long terms that somebody might, that the tables might turn and that they might be on the receiving end of this. 
But either way, this is absolutely a horrible bill. And you look through it and go, this is just an, a wish list. This is just what they want. They want universal mail-in voting. They want early voting. They want 10 days after to keep getting ballots because that worked very well in the 2020 election. This is scary. They are, they are codifying the 2020 election, what they did to get away with it. And this is stuff that if this does pass and become law, election integrity is basically dead in the United States of America because there are so many levers that they will have control over that there's no reason to even really worry about voting in elections anymore. Now, within states, obviously, you can vote for people and they have no control over state elections. But still, it does change the fact that if there's an independent commission that determines who's going to be in the House of Representatives for the next 10 years or what districts are going to be running for the next 10 years, that's a big problem because it's going to be partisan and it's going to be drawn to help the Democrats, meaning it'll give Democrats an advantage in the House for the next 10 years. And if it passes, it'll mean in perpetuity. You wouldn't even be able to get Republicans, enough Republicans in the House to come back in and get rid of this bill. So it is a scary bill. I, I hope it dies as soon as it gets to the Senate. I hope it, it never comes back. Um, there are a lot of, hopefully there are some cooler heads who will prevail. There was one Democrat who voted for or for voted with the Republicans. It went down party lines and it was narrow. It went, it was 10, it was only a 10 vote margin. And there was one Democrat who uh, did actually vote with the Republicans. Let me see if I could pull that up for you. I just want to see his reasoning. Okay, here we go. Lone Democrat explained, and this was in the Epoch Times. Lone Democrats explain why he sided with Republicans against HR one. Every Democrat but one voted late March third for HR one. Uh, they were joined by Representative Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi. He explained, my constituents opposed the redistricting portion of the bill as well as the section on public financing. I always listen and vote in the interest of my constituents. Oh, that's very noble of him. Uh. That's basically all he says. And he talks about the independent legislation or the independent commission. Uh, Americans love election season. They love the endless political ads, acts having their phones blown up by political calls and texts, having their email inboxes littered. My phone keeps ringing off the hook for my constituents, just pleading for Congress to use their dollars to fund more campaign ads. This is a fantasy world that government bureaucrats and career politicians who want a federal takeover our elections live in, says Representative Carlos Jimenez. Uh, of Florida. They want to take Americans' money and give it to the campaigns in a six to one ratio, effectively forcing you to support political campaigns you don't support, which I guess is a violation of your First Amendment rights. I mean, it's forcing you to fund political parties and associate with political parties that you don't necessarily agree with. As a former voting rights attorney, I've seen firsthand the devastation on the faces of Americans when they are denied their ability to make their voice heard in our election because they missed an arbitrary deadline or showed up to their old polling place. It's heartbreaking, not who we are as a nation. Representative Colin Alred of Democrat from Texas. On today's vote, we as a Congress have the opportunity to affirmatively expand access to voting. This bill would do so by allowing for automatic and same-day registration and well, blah, blah, blah. Make our elections more secure and will ensure Americans and only Americans take part in them. Yeah, okay. There's so many loopholes to participate if you are not an American in this whole thing. Again, it's a wish list and it, it should make everybody's stomach turn and you should be contacting. Uh, well, at this point, you can't really contact your House of Representatives. You should be contacting your senators if you're lucky enough to live in a Republican state. 
and say, do not vote for this because it is an absolute disaster of a bill. Next article I want to talk about is uh, talking about Newsom again with his lobbying efforts. And we've talked about his lobbying efforts here and the fact that people who are close to Gavin Newsom seem to always be at the front of the line when it comes to getting awarded big lucrative state contracts. And we talked about that uh, with Plum Healthcare. That, if you remember way back when I talked about Plum Healthcare at the beginning of all of this, Plum Healthcare is someone who had close connections with a lobbyist who used to work for Gavin Newsom and they were put at the front of the line and they were supposed to be taking over. And this was before the whole Governor Cuomo thing happened. They were supposed to be first in line to get uh, COVID patients being put back into nursing homes. So this was way back in the day, but it was an example of how you can always follow the money with Gavin Newsom. He is definitely a politician that if you follow the money, you can see why he makes a lot of the decisions he does. Uh, and this article is from, is this California P C A P is that cap radio? Is that supposed to be California something public radio? Um, be funny if this is actually, is this public radio? An actual article from public radio. Oh, interesting. Anyway, We'll talk, uh, let's dive into the article. Uh, on the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, lobbyist Mark Weedman, Weedman reached out to Governor Gavin Newsom's chief of staff with an offer. Weedman's client manufacturer BYD wanted to donate 50,000 masks and thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer. The state accepted. Within weeks, the state inked a no-bid $990 million deal with BYD for N95 and surgical masks, which was later extended by an additional $306 million, so over a billion dollars. Of course, Newsom's office denies any wrongdoing. Uh, the interaction sheds a sliver of light into the shadowy world of lobbying and for no-bid contracts during the state's pandemic response. While lobbyists have to disclose efforts to influ influence policy and legislation, they are not required to disclose lobbying activities when vying for lucrative contracts. Government ethics experts say that's an area that demands greater transparency in order for Californians to understand how their government awards contracts and opportunities, especially as Newsom pushes to extend his emergency spending authority for another year. The nonpartisan legislative analyst office warns that under the extension, there would be no reasonable checks and balances on the governor's COVID-19 spending authority. So the Wyoming Group lobbies for three companies, BYD, Blue Shield of California, and Bloom Energy. Hmm, didn't Blue Shield just get a big contract to be the one person who helped get, uh, who helped distribute the vaccines? Interesting. Uh, they received no bid contracts tied to the pandemic. The contracts range from $2 million to over a $1 billion. Uh, these companies found these companies. One executive contributed 376000 to Newsom and his ballot measure committee since mid-2019. Weidemann also represents Pacific Six, an investment firm that lobbied Newsom to reopen a decommissioned hospital during the pandemic. The company and its executives contributed $44,000 to the governor in the fall, weeks before the state gave the hospital final approval to reopen. The four companies paid Weidemann's firm a combined $1.2 million in 2019 and 2020. Uh, but the full scope remains opaque. Protecting the public from the spread of coronavirus is the utmost importance to the administration, Newsom's press secretary wrote in an email. Contracts related to COVID-19 are based on protecting the health of our residents and are posted online for the public to review. 
The state website listing COVID-19 contracts can be found if you click on this link. I'll include a link to this article in the show notes. Lopez did not address a follow-up question about whether lobbying efforts for these contracts should be publicly disclosed. Uh, and of course, they stonewall them, they stonewall them, and they stonewall them. So the issue is, and this is what the article is getting to, is that you don't have to disclose your lobbying efforts. So in these, a lot of these no-bid contracts, a lot of these companies can bid, but they don't have to disclose their lobbying. Um, meaning that you could bid or you can disclose, or excuse me, you can donate to the campaign, you can donate to politicians, but when you get these no-bid contracts, it doesn't really have to go through the rigorous disclosure of saying who was lobbying on your behalf. Uh, there was obviously emails. We've talked about these emails with BYD. Um, I mean, these lobbyists make a lot of money. I'm just looking at it right now. I mean, they, the BYD paid Weidman Group $395,000 for lobbying services in 2019 and 2020. Bob Stern, a former general counsel to the California Fair Political Practice Commission, said the donation doesn't raise any alarms for him. He added that one could argue Weidman is simply a shrewd lobbyist playing by the established rules of the game. That's not even an appearance problem, he said. This is how business is done in Sacramento. That's a big problem. And I think there should obviously be legislation, someone pushing for reform of this. Uh, going on, going on. Da, 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 da. Blue Shield paid Weidman Group $480,000 for lobbying services as well in 2019 and 2020. The Weidman Group played no role in the decision by the state to award the vaccine distribution contract. Blue Shield, sure, no. It, the $480,000 paid to the Weidman Group for lobbying had nothing to do with the fact that Blue Shield is now handling the distribution. And it was an open contract. Uh, BYD and Blue Shield were Weidman's Group's top paying clients in 2019 and 2020. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about someone else. Newsom wants to expand, extend his emergency spending authority for another year. According to his latest budget proposal, the emergency authority is set to expire in June. June. The pandemic is expected to last at least through the year. But the nonpartisan legislative analyst office says the proposal raises various concerns. This is recommended the legislature push for more oversight. The administration would have access to nearly unlimited funding in the budget year while having minimal requirements to notify the legislature when funds are accessed and no requirement to report on how funds are actually spent on the state's COVID-19 response. State lawmakers, including Democrats, have previously, ex previously expressed frustration about being sidelined during the pandemic response. Dan Shern, a professor of political communications at University of California, Berkeley, and University of Southern California, says it's worth giving Newsom the benefit of the doubt that these pandemic contracts and opportunities are rewarded illegitimately and with the best interests of Californians. But in exchange for that good faith from voters, he adds, the administration should be more forthright about how the pandemic contracts are awarded. There's no need right now to show up with torches and pitchforks on the Capitol lawn, but Newsom owes it to the voters to provide the information so they can see for themselves that everything he did was on the up and up. Uh, there were shortcuts that were taken to try not to harm anyone, but try to maximize the benefit of people who need tested, blah, blah, blah. But he argues these shortcuts, such as circumventing competitive bidding, come with obligations. Transparency is certainly an ethical approach to making difficult decisions. Now, it's one thing to say, oh, well, a governor in situations like this, an emergency situation, absolutely needs the emergency power to make decisions quickly. And there are times when a governor needs to jump in and harness all the abilities of the, his government and do what he needs to do. In this case, with Gavin Newsom, 
it's a case of where there is smoke, there is fire. And it seems there are too many of these connections where the Weidemann group is paid. And then the Weidemann group then goes in lobbies. And then those companies that were lobbied or paid for by like BYD or Blue Shield all of a sudden get these very, very lucrative contracts. BYD made a killing by making a billion dollars from the state in our taxpayer money. And Blue Shield made, what, $300 million around there for the vaccine distribution? Uh, worth up to $15 million. Sorry, I want to make sure. The company has contributed. He, But the company contributed $300,000 to Newsom's ballot measure committee since mid-2019. And they also paid this Weidman group almost half a million dollars. That's that's the sort of stuff that if you want to show that if there's nothing to hide, then there's nothing to hide. And you can obviously say, look, we did everything on the up and up. Here's the transparency. Here's why we did it. Here's why we went with them. Here's what they said was the best reason. But if it looks like and maybe there is an issue, maybe there is a deeper issue with the fact that this is how Sacramento works. And if this is really how Sacramento works, that is an enormous problem that needs to be rectified. And I think coming out of this, it wouldn't be a bad idea if there was a way to get bipartisan support for some sort of legislation that if this ever happens again, these no bid contracts, there has to be some oversight. There has to be oversight on who's lobbying who and how they're getting their offers or getting awarded these contracts from the government. Because in reality, it is our tax dollars. This is our money. This is what we're giving to the state. And believe me, the state takes a good amount of our money. And for them to just callously say, well, we're just going to give it here, just give it to these companies or this company. We know this lobbying group and we work with this lobbying group. There needs to be more transparency as to where they're spending this money. And I, I can understand why Democrats are starting to get frustrated up in Sacramento because they're left out in the cold with this. And if Newsom gives himself another year of emergency powers, it means that he can do this for a whole nother year and basically leave the legislature on the side. Now, there hasn't really been a lot of pushback, but it'd be worth noting if there's going to be a lot of Democrats who come out of the woodworks and say, hey, we want to end your emergency powers, which they could. They The, the legislature can come out and pass a resolution and end Gavin Newsom's emergency powers anytime they want. But they so far haven't really done anything because why not? They're all in his party. And they don't want to rock the boat. But with the way Gavin Newsom's going, if he gets recalled or there's a recall election and it looks like his political fortunes are dipping, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of Democrats who are going to go out of their way to maybe remove his emergency powers. Democrats can turn on each other pretty quickly. And we're seeing that with Andrew Cuomo in New York. Um but this is definitely an issue of transparency. I'll I'll post the article so you can read the whole thing. Follow the money. When it comes to Sacramento and whatever Gavin Newsom's doing, you can always follow the money as to who paid him the most money, who donated the most money to this initiative or to his re- his reelection campaign or whatever, and what lobbying group is working with him. Because Gavin Newsom is no stranger to lobbying groups and he's no stranger to getting asking for what do they call them, behest contributions. So with that, uh, I'm going to end for today. I want to get through those two big things. HR one, read more about it. There's a lot out there. You can definitely read more about how terrifying this bill is and how scary this bill is. And hopefully it doesn't pass. Keep an eye on this one. I'll be keeping a close eye on this one as well. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on the recall as that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. 
Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, California Underground, uh, at California Underground. You can email me, California Underground at protonmail.com. Uh, and you can follow my live Coffee in California Politics every nine every Wednesday at 9 a.m. on Instagram. And until next time, I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 